Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jamie Bianchini. He's the co-founder and CEO at Ludella. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to have you on this show. I, I think um, your journey to kind of starting Ludella is, is fascinating to me, but maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. I grew up in Burlingame, California. Okay. And so born and raised, you, you kind of lived there your mm-hmm. whole life for the most part? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bay Area native. Got you. And then, um, so what kind of got you, um, you know, passionate about um, kind of going to um, the Su- University of Southern California and taking business? I've just, I've always been an entrepreneur all my life. So okay. um, since, I was, since I was a little kid, I used to sell lemonade stands and different business, small little businesses. And it's just been in my blood. My dad was an entrepreneur and I was an entrepreneur. And so by the time it was college time, I look for a school that had a really good entrepreneur program and USC had uh, one of the best entrepreneur programs in the world. And, and so that was where I pointed myself. Okay. So was there kind of one defining moment in childhood where you kind of knew that you wanted to kind of go into business or was it just cause you kind of were following the family's uh, kind of footsteps? Um, you know, actually, believe it or not, I got accepted to USC originally as in um, in in uh, electrical engineering. That was one of my passions. But they also I also had business. So there's a couple of interests. It wasn't just business. Um, uh, I also liked science and and I liked creating things and inventing things. And uh, so I thought, you know, having business and that together would be a good thing. Uh, and so there wasn't. I don't think there's any divine defining moment as much as I just always found myself organizing things and creating things and and uh, trying to monetize small ways for me to have my cool stuff for various stages of my growing up from toys to, 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 you know, parts and car stereos for myself as a teenager in my car and, you know, whatever it may be, I was always, always finding ways to muster up money um, using different kinds of entrepreneurial ideas. Okay. So you, you go to USC, you get your, your degree, you graduate. What did you end up doing after that? Um, I, I, I won best business plan, uh, when I was, uh, as, as a final project at one, uh, best business plan. So, uh, and it was on a lodge and adventure center, um, outdoor center place in, um, in Colorado. And I originally was going to go and do that, but I uh, decided uh, to put that on hold and go travel the world a little bit. But then I ended up getting kind of caught up a little bit in the Silicon Valley, um, boom, when I came home from Europe after a little trip and saw everybody making a lot of money and, didn't really realize it at the time, but just thought that that's what I should be doing is, is making a lot of money and, and kind of jumped onto that, that course and started to just do a bunch of different projects and things that didn't really 
interest me so much, but I thought would make a lot of money. Well, long story short, five years passed and I and, um, ended up kind of burning burning myself out and working really hard and, and ended up driving myself bankrupt. So I went bankrupt when I was 28. And uh, that was uh, probably the toughest time in my life. I had a bunch of relationships kind of go sour and and just uh, didn't do a good job managing my health and my relationships and my finances. Uh, so that's what, what I did with my USD education right out of school is went bankrupt. <laughs> okay. So how did you kind of pull yourself out of that? Um, I just, at that point that I was bankrupt, you know, I had nothing left. And so I just said, look, you know, I need to just do what I love, you know, for once in my life, just really do what I really want to do. And what I really wanted to do was to travel and I wanted to ride my bike as my two things I loved more than anything. And, but I also wanted to do something that had some, made some difference in the world instead of it just always being about me, me, me. And that's kind of what drove me bankrupt to begin with. So I kind of put this desire to, to, to be, to, to make life meaningful for other people besides just myself. And that became this inspiration to create a project called Peace Peddlers, where uh, one of my really good friends from college, Garrett Campton, and I uh, came together and we created Peace Peddlers, which was a trip around the world on bicycle, inviting strangers on the back of tandem bikes. Uh, so I rode the front seat of a tandem bike and left the back seat open to invite strangers and adjust your peace. And, and uh, our goal was to just try to make the world a more peaceful place and lower prejudices between cultures and religions and and uh, ended up uh, finding 40 corporate sponsors and shipping off on an 81 country tour that ended up taking about eight years uh, to, to finally do and started about uh, 10 different charity projects along the way and just had a really rich, uh, rich life connecting with the world, but also kind of making a difference uh, in different parts of the world as we as we went around. So it was a special time of life. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome. So let's kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. So you said you, you got a bunch of corporate sponsorships. How did you guys go about kind of raising them? Did you just reach out to them? Did you have some connections? How did you kind of go about getting those? Um, we first struck out when we were first, when we first started to do the, the trip, we just had, we just had single bikes and we we didn't have the tandem idea of riding the tandems, uh, but then that that idea came to my partner Garrick, and and uh, it started to make more sense. We basically just sent a bunch of proposals. I the the big the most successful way of getting sponsors for me was going to the biggest trade show in the world, where all the all of the marketing people would be, which was the Interbike Trade Show in Las Vegas. So I knew all the decision makers would be there. They would all be they couldn't avoid me like they could on the phone or the email. So I kind of went there with, with sponsorship proposals and with drawings and with my maps and with my, you know, I I believed in what we were doing. I knew we were going to do it. So I think a lot of it was, you know, I wasn't going to go away and they saw that I wasn't going to go away when they all saw me in Vegas. They'd already seen my emails. They'd had my phone calls. They had had my faxes. So, I mean, I, I, I was pestering them. So that's probably the short, the shortest way to summarize it. How do you get corporate sponsors is you pester, um, you pester and you don't go away and you, you basically tell them that they, that they've got to support your dream. So we did that to all the top companies and, and we got pretty much every company that we wanted, including somebody uh, to build the bikes for us for free out of titanium. And, and uh, it was a special thing, but yeah, that was probably the biggest thing and out and showing value. I mean, it wasn't like I was asking for something for nothing. I, I had a really good plan of how I declared, plan to deliver value for their contribution of, of in-kind product that they gave us. Uh, so we had plans on our website, we had media plans, we had 
uh, ways to to send them product reviews and tell them how things were working and how they can increase you know make their products better and field testing and so we are we had a full list of of returns so it was well thought out well presented and it was professional so you don't, you don't go to the marketing department of any any company with an unprofessional presentation and expect to be backed so you have to kind of, I we we were really professional in the way we did it so I'm curious though, like obviously maybe just kind of cover the, the top things, but like what, okay, so you asked for X amount of dollars from a certain sponsor and what, and usually kind of what was the return? Like you, you kind of loosely covered it, but what is, what does that really mean? Like what did these companies get back from you? Or just give a few examples, I guess. Sure. Well, at the beginning, we weren't asking for money. We saved money for two and a half years working multiple jobs and businesses. So we weren't asking for money. We just wanted to offset the $20,000 plus gear budget by getting free in-kind product. Okay. So getting the bike and bags and sleeping bags and bike gear and outer layers and inner layers and everything you would need to do an expedition around the world. It, it, it becomes pretty expensive when you add it, up, add it up if you want to have good gear. So um, we were just trying to get in-kind gear, which is the easiest. Getting money is really difficult when no one knows who you are. Um, but getting gear uh, as an athlete is, is a lot easier, um, but still hard But because everyone's sure. after the same thing. Uh, but the, the biggest return was that we we're doing was the website. Uh, we, at that time, there were no blogs back in that time. It was a, news, it was a newsletter. And um, so newsletter, website, and media – and we had proven to be able to get in the media because our concept was really unique. You know, we were the first people to take a tandem bike around the world and pick up strangers. Nobody had ever done that. So it was, we were getting a lot of press, and I think they saw that there was a bit of a goodwill side that they could that they could uh, tie their brand to, right. um, as well as the media of them being able to piggyback on on their PR. So their PR team said, okay, well, we could, you know, we can use this too, and saying we're supporting them, and we can get in the press and put our name of our gear that they're riding our bikes, they're using our brakes, they're using our sleeping bags and whatever. So it was it was very well thought out the way we presented it. So you need to, I think you need to do that as well. Sure, that makes sense. And I, I think a lot of times, like, it really doesn't cost them that much to give you, like, a couple sleeping bags or, like, whatever, right? Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't no. really cost them that much, right? So, like, and the PR side of it, you're right, is could be astronomical for them, for the value, right? So it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you spend a number of years kind of planning and organizing and recruiting kind of sponsors to do this thing. Um, so... How did you guys kind of go about actually getting it done and kind of where did you guys end up starting? Like what country? Uh, we started in Japan in 2002 okay. and made our way, you know, started in Asia. We went as far away as possible and started making our way home. So we basically went to Japan and went out to Japan, Korea, China, Tibet, and, you know, made our way down south all the way through Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and and uh, then I would come home often and see the family. Uh, also, you know, get get more stuff from the sponsors every year. It was a yearly ask that we'd ask for, just to keep keep fresh gear coming in. And we would auction that gear off uh, and do charity projects that we started along the way. Um, and then went off to Africa and did a couple of years, two years, twenty two countries in Africa, and then would come back a couple times during that to raise money, um, put on events screen videos. And so it became, you know, quite a, quite a good relationship with the sponsors, uh, that they would, um, that they would, uh, uh, be looking forward to the events that we would put on. We put on a fair amount of events, at least one every year, uh, where we would screen things and, uh, screen photos and videos and tell people what we were doing and 
and uh, we would feature their products at the live events um, and then uh, raise money for various causes we did, and then we would head back out on the road. Okay, so you kind of mentioned some some kind of charities and organizations um, that you guys kind of founded throughout kind of your journey. Do you want to maybe kind of mention some of the kind of charity work that you guys did kind of before Ludella became an actual product? Um, yeah, I mean, it became pretty clear by the time uh, where I was in Africa that there was an opportunity. Um, you know, Asia, we did some things, mostly visiting orphanages and, and actually just bringing smiles to people's faces. But that was uh, kind of the catalyst to do, doing bigger things. Uh, and so when, uh, and when we went to, to the African continent, it was really re- recognizing, uh, that, that some of the, the unnecessary suffering going on there, namely with, um, malaria, uh, and, uh, there's a lot of people literally dying or suffering, uh, a lot with, with malaria. So we, we ended up getting sponsored by Novartis, Swiss pharmaceutical company called Novartis, and they donated, you know, thousands of doses. So I, c- I could peddle them through the continent. Um, and then, uh, and then that led to, you know, getting into education and being inspired to, to help people with education and meeting a guy who I helped start a school for AIDS orphans and the needy is still going today with about, about 300 students. Wow. Um, so it's just, just getting involved in wherever I could. In other words, I, I wasn't looking to be a philanthropist. I just was on a bike trip meeting people from the local community who shared with me, um, challenges that they were having in their community that, that, and then I would empower other people to do it, and I would support uh, other people who were generally the people, my guest riders in the back of my tandem, um, to to do something about it. And I would help raise money. I would give them help make plans, help them get support from their community, and just use my my, my skills and my our friendship as a, as that we created on the bike as a vehicle to um, to help the communities uh, that they were from and that I had ridden through and that had taken care of me when I came through on the bike. Sure. Okay. So. How does, so kind of walk me through kind of a typical day, um, just like on the bike, right? Like, obviously you get up in the morning, um, but like kind of walk me through like a typical day. Or was it different Uh, all the time? Yeah, that was what was fun about it. It was different every time. Um, That was pretty addicting. Uh, For a guy like me, I just like, I like adventure. Anyways, uh, but I, I use I, I would say mostly I was sleeping at people's houses. I like just I like doing homestays with local people. Okay. So um, if if I was there, I would wake up there. We'd go out and find some food, whether it be going out for it or they generally would feed me whatever they had, um, and uh, get myself ready to go and try. And at that point, I was either trying to recruit somebody to ride the next day. Uh, if that person I was riding with there wasn't going, um, or I was continuing to ride who, with whoever I rode with, but it was always trying to figure out who was going to ride, where we were going to ride to, how far, how were they going to get back home? Uh, I would I would always offer to pay for their 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 transport back home. Uh, in any developing country, obviously in Europe, they didn't need my help as much, uh, but um, I would offer to pay their their bus trip back home so they could come out with me for the day and get permission from their parents or their spouses and then uh, then ship off for the day of adventure, not knowing where we're going to go and just pointing the bike towards the next destination. And uh, and then just building a nice friendship of, of pedaling for anywhere between we pedal till love till around um, uh, dinner time, excuse me, till around lunchtime. And we'd stop for take some photos. I did a bunch of video work and shot some stuff as well. Uh, and so we'd boost photos and videos and we would just head on through, have lunch somewhere and explore some food and, 
and then uh, head out all the way until we'd stop for the next destination and we'd look for a place to sleep by talking to local people um, and uh, finding a homestay to stay at uh, so that we can continue to experience, you know, how people were living and, and meet them and meet their, their people in their community and things like that. So it was a pretty, it was pretty, pretty interactive trip and, and uh, immersive trip with the communities. Sure. So obviously you're, you're, you're meeting these people for probably hours or days before you end up kind of staying with their, like in their home. Were you ever kind of scared, I guess, for the lack of a better term for that? Like, um, was I ever scared? Uh, yeah, there were a couple scary times, but for the most part, I always was, um, I was always, uh, able to find a place to, to sleep. And I always knew I would because I, and the, the biggest thing I took away from the trip in general was, uh, was the, uh, understanding that people have a natural born sense of compassion towards other human beings. And that, if you're, if I'm in a vulnerable situation every single time, any corner of the world, any culture, any religion, any language, any, any, you know, any skin color, people were compassionate to help another human being. So that's what I experienced and that's what I took away from it. And, um, so that was what I ended up, um, uh, you know, coming to, to feel comfortable with roaming and not knowing exactly where I was going to be. Cause I truly believe that. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, that that whole thing is like, th- that's awesome to me, right? That you basically just like you did this whole thing, right? And you did it for well, like almost nine years, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, at at any point, were you kind of like, just say like, okay, this has been too long, or like, because that's almost a decade, right? Like, that's a long time of your life, right? So, was yeah. at any point you're kind of like, I'm done this, or you just kind of you kept, you love the whole process or kind of walk me through kind of, you know, that decade of your life a little bit. Uh, yeah, there are definitely some times that I questioned if I should just come home, but it, it, I, I, I quit a lot of things. That was one of the reasons I went bankrupt is that was I kept starting something and quitting, starting something and quitting. And, and, uh, I, I never had a chance to really finish something. And I set off to, to ride my bike around the world and it took a lot longer than I thought. I fell in love with a couple different girls. I started little ventures. I had a lot of sidetracks, um, <laughs> along the way. Uh, and, and so I, I just promised myself I would finish it. And I, uh, you know, my father died, uh, you know, just before I left on my trip and I kind of promised I would, I, I would do it for him as well. And so, uh, so that was another thing that motivated me was was making a commitment to something as well, right you know, for my father. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you 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 wrap this whole kind of like nine year process up. Um, you ended up writing a, a book about the whole experience. Do you maybe want to kind of cover what the book is kind of about? Obviously, it's about the trip, but kind of like what what's in the book and kind of what made you write the book? Um, the book, the, the book of bicycle built for 2 billion. That was, it's a, it's a memoir really. I mean, I, it's a memoir that I just wanted to share as a, for my kids and for any future generations of, um, you know, that's, it's kind of, it's definitely not just a travel log. It's not like, Hey, you're going to go on and just learn about, uh, Jamie's trip and who he picked up and where he went and, and adventures like that. You do get a lot of that. And I wanted to make sure I covered that adventure because it's, it's pretty rich. 
but uh, also, you know, that it didn't come easy. You know, I had, I did have a hard childhood, you know, between divorce and abuse and, and kind of chaos of, of, of alcoholism and different things like that in my life. But, you know, I had to go through that stuff and it defined who I was and, and it shaped some of the, the good and bad parts of my personality that I had to deal with later on in life. And, and it's just, it was a great growing. So it's a mix of an adventure, but it's definitely a memoir too, and very personal and I hope to inspire people who have had tough times in their life that, you know, you can, you can go to nothing. I mean, I was bankrupt at 28 and nothing. Um, that you can go from nothing and be able to, to pull off a dream, which was a dream to go around the world and have it make, make it mean something and connect with the world and, and help people along the way. And so, you know, it was hopefully, hopefully something that, and, and meet my wife and now we're happily married with two kids and, and on to the next project, uh, really inspired by, by, by our, that time on the trip. So, um, that was kind of where I wanted it to be a legacy piece that kind of hung, hung out, uh, for, for, for many years to come. Uh, for for future generations to read. Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And so let's kind of get into what exactly Ludella is and kind of how did you come up with the idea? Uh, Ludella was formed when I was in Burkina Faso in West Africa. Okay. Uh, And I was staying in West Africa at the time. And uh, I, um, I was, I, I was riding through and had done a bunch of days of, of homestays with people and was really tired. And I stayed at a small hotel and they didn't have any electricity. So they gave me a candle and uh, they gave me a candle, which is pretty common, either candle or kerosene is a big, big fuel source out there. And uh, they gave me the candle and I ended up using the candle to read and look at my maps and, and, and relax. And I ended up falling asleep and woke up to a candle fire by my bed um, on this little nightstand. And it was, burning and smoke was in the room and wax was all over the place. And it was a very scary time. I had to put it out with my cycling clothes and things to get the fire out and had to pay the, uh, the, 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 the hotel owner some money for the table the next day. But I mean, it was scary, but I mean, the, the biggest thing it ended up doing was the next day on the bike, I ended up inventing what is now Ludella, uh, which is the world's first uh, safe, smart candlelight fixture um that you can turn on and off with a remote with, excuse me with the with the smartphone uh that has numerous safety features and sensors that help drastically reduce fire to, to to almost nothing uh and uh and create really an opportunity for people to enjoy this beautiful um you know timeless source of light of candlelight which has been around for five thousand years but do so without all the hassles and fire risks associated with it yeah no i i think it's awesome and i it the whole thing, like if you if you would have told me about it, I would have been like, I don't think that's possible. But like, obviously you're doing it, and it's it, it's really intriguing to me. So obviously, just for the listener, kind of walk us through exactly what that means. Like, is it is it it's a real candle, but you control it with your smartphone, and you have all these kind of features that you get from anything else that's kind of electronic. So do you want to kind of walk us through the feature set on, on the candle and the app? It's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to envision it unless you have it in front of you. But sure. if you were to look at it from far away, the, the, the core design that comes out of the box of Ludella looks, looks very much like a real traditional wax pillar candle. So a lot of people look at it and say, so it's a candle, so what is that? But underneath that is is where all the technology lies. So the outer shell is wax. It looks like wax, but underneath it, there's 10 different safety sensors. 
And underneath that wax facade, it burns an actual refill. So if you think of a think of an IoT candle, uh, IoT devices or, or or other devices that use refills like SodaStream or or Karoo Coffee, right? They're they're devices, they're hardware devices that use a consumable product through for you to enjoy something more than you were able to before. Adds value. So so this burns real 100% soy beeswax refills underneath this wax shell, or you can change that outer shell out and use a beautiful glass shell that's a modern shell or you want a red shell because it's Christmas time or if you want to take it out and you want white because it matches your white color. So you have different color shells that you can put on the outside depending on what your decor is or what the season is. But underneath it is where kind of all the technology lies. That's where we have what's called the Wi-Fi technology platform. That's what has the Bluetooth that links over to your phone. And on the app, if you think about an app that controls uh, lights like, like, um, like the Philips Hue, for example, totally, yep. you have the ability you have the ability to control what room it's in and pair those those groups of of lights uh, and make make them do different things. So this is the kind of you can you have, you have lots of different features. You obviously have on, you have off, you have a timer. So you can say, okay, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I'm going to put these timers on for a half hour and start winding down and start brushing my teeth and, and dimming all my lights, which is really good for your body because the body needs to unwind. If you keep lights on too long, it's much harder to unwind. That's scientifically proven. Sure. But it allows you to relax because if you do fall asleep and they're on, they're not going to burn all the night or start a fire because they're automatically going to turn off. Right. And so from a safety perspective, that's nice. But then there's lots of features that are on the app from, from a, we have a scene mode where you could automatically just choose for it to um, hit one button for dinner mode and it'll automatically turn your dinner candles on or you want relaxation nighttime mode for meditation and that'll turn on or if you want a party mode, it'll turn this on. So you basically it just has a lot of advanced functionality because we want to really encourage people to use these as candlelight fixtures. You think of a light fixture, you think of a light fixture to be put on a wall you put in a corner and they're used to light your space. So we want to use, we're re redefining candlelight by with these smart candlelight fixtures where you could put a wall sconce on in one room and another a couple candlesticks in air and a lantern over in the corner by your fireplace. And those become your zone of that room and they're fixtures. So you can have those fixtures do whatever you want them to do. Put them on for timers, you know, set a certain road. You have a, you have a dimmer switch option where you can say, okay, I'm just, I just want one candle to turn on just because I'm carrying my kid in from the car. So I'm just going to dim it on one candle. Um, and so you could just have has lots of functionality using this really ancient, uh, beautiful, relaxing, uh, meditative source of light that's been around for thousands of years. Sure. No, I, I think it's awesome. And I, I love I love the concept and I love taking something that's been around forever and kind of adding technology to it. And and so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious then, um, you came up with this kind of on the bike riding and I, I get why you kind of came up with it. But so I'm assuming you didn't actually start building a prototype until you were back in the States or kind of walk me through the prototyping yeah. process. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I had just a bunch of napkins and pieces of paper and stuff that was went through as I would get more ideas, seven hours, pedaling a day behind the bike gives you some time to think and, sure. and things like that. But yeah, I ended up meeting my wife. Uh, I, I left out, I went to Africa for two years and then I did a, a couple years in Asia, excuse me, in Europe and South America. And I met my wife in South America and we made some babies. So, I mean, this all got pushed off from the time 
that I invented it in 2007 to the point that I met my, my, my partner and co-founder in, in 2014. Oh, wow. So the seven years that it was just kind of sitting around waiting for the right time and waiting for babies to come out and be mature and, and things like that. So, uh, but then it became clear that, you know, my kids were a little bit older. I was ready to, you know, get into running a startup. The book was almost done. There was something, I was still closing out the peace peddlers trip. So, and then I met Eric and Erica owned surface Inc. Uh, one of the most most respected um, product design firms in the Silicon Valley, and and he fell in love with it. We became partners, and he started he started to develop the prototypes while I was finishing the book and the book tour. And then when I, when I finished the book tour, we had a prototype ready to go out fundraising, and that's when uh, uh, it was our first iteration of the. It was actually the third by the time we went fundraising, and the third uh, version of the prototype and took that out and and raised seven hundred five thousand dollars and took that out to take the product where it is now, which is, you know, basically all tooled out. Um, our first tooling database is done. We have two, two custom P- PCB boards ready. Uh, and we're in pre-order right now, uh, taking pre-orders on our website and iterating on our website uh, and starting to get a lot of um, really exciting opportunities with uh, uh, retailers and distributors and uh, around the world and, and putting, putting together these next phases of financing and, and figuring out where our next financing objectives are going to be is how, how deep are we going to finance ourselves? Are we going to continue to bootstrap a little bit further along? And um, so those are all the decisions that we're in the process of making right now. Sure. So I'm, I'm curious then, how, how did you guys kind of, okay, so you, you built a prototype, obviously. Were you guys and your business partners kind of familiar with that? Did you guys mm-hmm. um, kind of get it manufactured in, in Asia or, or somewhere else in the world or, or kind of where are you guys? No, the prototype, yeah. Oh, the, the, the prototype was done here in the U S um, right, we're okay. going to be manufactured as of now we're, we're looking to manufacture in Asia. Okay. Uh, especially it's really, nobody does these wax shells and has the experience in, 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 uh, in, in this, uh, facade of wax shells and making them look good and doing it at scale uh, and right. really no one doing it in the U S. So we didn't want to try to reinvent that. Uh, and, um, and all, I mean, all the con- all the consumer electronics at the small consumer electronics. It seemed to make sense to do it all all in one place. Although I originally originally I idealistically really wanted to try to do it in the U.S., but it, it became clear as we went down the path of, of of where that expertise was, and the product became pretty expensive to uh, from a from a cost of goods standpoint because we me as a father and pet owner and Eric as a father and pet owner. Uh, we both were just really fanatic about safety, so we just kept adding more safety features into sure. it because we're like, well, if that if that happens, then oh, we got to build that. We got to get the sensor for that. We need a sensor for that. We need a sensor for that. So you know, we just it, it's remote control fire. So I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I always tell people we're 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 making the safest candle on the planet. But it's still an open flame and it's still a candle and you have to you still need to treat it with respect because it's still dangerous and technology can fail. So, you know, you want to be treating it just like you would treat any other candle. Uh, but so to bring it back to manufacturing. Uh, we have we found a manufacturing partner uh, through some of our trusted advisors uh, out in out in China. And we've been working through various iterations of prototyping and, and, and getting ready to, uh, to, to to go down that that path with them. Sure. No, that makes sense. So you're available for pre-order right now. What, what's uh-huh. the, what do you know the cost and, and a rough ship date? It's, it's, uh, 50% off right now. So it's $99 instead of they suggested 199, uh, that is going to be going on after the pre-order. 
Uh, and so and the ship date is early 2017. Uh, we're on target for a March ship date, but we didn't want to say March because uh, things can happen, especially if something as complicated as we just said early 2017 is the ship date. Sure. Uh, and there's, yeah, and we're just offering a whole bunch of great benefits to, to the early adopters between the cost savings, but also um, the ability to, be, to kind of take part in this and be part of the survey and be part of shaping the feature set and testing and helping us with colors and scents and all the different aspects of creating a company, kind of the next generation of, of, um, of, of, of candlelight, you know, and taking something as beautiful as, as a candlelight and just making it much safer and much easier to use so that people can adopt it, uh, that can change their life. And then I, you don't know how much you know about the social cause of what we do, but, you know, back in when I was in Africa where I, where I invented the product, um, I, uh, uh, was it was definitely exposed to a lot of people living without access to clean, clean, um, healthy, affordable electricity, excuse, uh, light sources, excuse me. There are a lot of them, most of them living off the grid and using um, dirty kerosene or using nothing at all, or some of them using a small little light of, a, of, a, of their cell phone to try to like live at night. So um, we have a social cause that we do with Ludella um, every, every, smart candlelight fixture that we sell, we donate a solar candlelight fixture out, uh, excuse me, a solar LED uh, light out to a family in need um, out at, out in Africa, Asia, out in the world uh, that really transforms people's lives because they're able to, to study at night, to be able to work after hours and, and, and get themselves out of extreme poverty. No, I, I think that's awesome. And that was going to be my, my next question to you. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of went into that. And so I, I know, like, obviously you guys are, are still kind of just still kind of early on in, in the pre-order phase and, you know, you're, you're building this thing. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, do you, are you guys going to do other products? Are you going to kind of stick in, in the candle space or, or is that still kind of too early on to kind of tell or decide? Uh, we're going to, as far as I know, our, we're staying in the flame lighting space. So we're okay. staying in natural organic flame lighting. So it doesn't have to be a candle per se. It could be a candle lantern. It could be, um, various forms of flame lighting. Uh, it could be outdoor tiki torches. It could be, uh, whatever we end up going into that uh, is that flame ambiance and bringing people, uh, giving them the people the opportunity to, to, to disconnect from artificial light. Artificial light's been scientifically proven through over 400 different medical studies to, to be an unhealthy source of light at nighttime. Um, and people don't know that. So one of our social missions of, to our customers is to inform them of that research and to let them know that that can be causing them to not sleep as well and to become a lot less healthy. Uh, so to, to bring people back to um, the way nature intended you to enjoy light at night uh, so your body can rest and maintain the proper levels of melatonin and to have the nor normal body clock rhythms you're supposed to have to sleep properly and to stay healthy. Um, that's one of our missions from that we have for our customers. You know, so, so we want to lead that by making a lot of different options from styles to price ranges and so forth. So our next product after this is going to be probably a much lower price point, but it won't be as beautiful and won't be as feature rich. But it'll, we're, our goal is to slowly add in um, different products for different price ranges, staying in the, the genre of natural organic flame lighting. Sure. That's awesome. And then I'm assuming that you'll still be able to control with your smartphone? 
whatever you guys do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. But there are there, there's a fair amount of people who who are traditionalists and may not want a smartphone control. They may just want a remote control. They okay. may want something that connect connects to their wall right next to their light switch. So they just next to the light switch, they dim their light switch, and then they they turn on. Um, they grab a remote control on the wall and not, they don't want their phone or they don't use smartphones. They don't want to use phones. Right. So sure. a lot of candle users are like that. So we don't want to force people to, to, to use smartphones, uh, necessarily. Um, so those are some things we're looking at. We don't know. There's, we have a, a pre- pretty broad roadmap right now, uh, that we're trying to hone in. No, I, I think that's awesome. And I, I love how you're almost considering both, right? Because you're right. I think a lot of people or well, it, maybe it's 50-50. I don't know. I'm just guessing here. But like, there will be a handful of people that are just like, yeah, I want to use it my, with my phone. And you're right. There's going to be a lot of people that are just like, nah, I don't really want to do that. So I, I get kind of covering both sides of that. It makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, originally it wasn't going to be on the smartphone, to be honest. And Oh, really? And uh, it's, yeah, no, I, I didn't have it on the smartphone. But, you know, I work with Eric. And Eric says, you know, everyone, everybody has phones and people lose remote controls all the time. And then they're trying to figure it out with the remote controls and I wanted it to be I wanted it to be a magical process and come you hit one button on your phone and your entire room lights up instead of having to you know turn around and point at things um and you know it's so much of a point and shoot as opposed to to a, a seamless experience of just hitting a button and having a lot more of that rich functionality that you can only get from an app um so so um so when we went down the path we realized that would be a great great way to a great way to launch and then we can always we could always go down uh in in other products pretty easy because we've already mapped those products out pretty pretty well because we were that was the original path we we're going so we've got those products um those the, the follow-up products kind of already spec'd out in a lot of ways sure and i'm assuming you'll launch android and ios yep okay that makes sense um i'm curious is did you guys have any kind of technical challenges um connecting from a phone to kind of a, your own kind of, you know, technology inside of a candle or, or was it pretty, pretty seamless? Um, so far, so, so far we're, 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 we're having a, having no problems at all, really. I mean, you have a distance issue you have to deal with, you know, when you, when you disconnect from it, if I walk away from it, we need to, we're, we're still going through various iterations of what's going to happen when you're disconnected from a certain amount of time from that candle, right? If I have a huge house and I've sure. lit my candles at the bottom and I've walked upstairs and I'm hanging out there, how long until we say, you know, you're not in a safe place if your candle, so you're going to just turn these off for you. Uh, and can the user control that or not? These are areas that we're going to, our early adopters hopefully will give us some feedback as we build things out and that we need to do some testing on. Um, you know, the way that we're going to sync, you know, the way that we're making them sync so that you can't come into my house with your app and turn my candles on, right? right. Or you, whatever it may be, right? So those are the areas that, that we've, we've, we've developed a couple different methodologies that we're, that we're running through and testing right now for how to pair your candles and tie those candles to the zones on your, on your, um, on your on your app and and things like that that we're that we're playing with it's not as important as where we're at right now which is getting the tooling database done and and really getting into the test mode of the hardware um software is pretty easy to get once you get things to turn on and off then everything is just software from then on you know so that's software and firmware is a lot easier to work with so we wanted to get it past the milestone of the tooling and the hardware and 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 uh get a lot of the mechanical stuff moving uh, and then we're going to be going to the fine tune of working on the the the, the um the the UI and all the you know the the app and how we want the app to work ideally. Sure. No, that makes sense. I'm just I'm always fascinated by that kind of hardware 
um, connecting to kind of technology and just like what people's experience are because you're right there's a bunch of things like I never like just talking to you I never would have thought about you know somebody coming into your house and controlling it but it totally makes sense right like and sometimes you want that and other times you don't want that right so I totally get that that makes a lot of sense yeah um yeah. but we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show so maybe let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about the book and Ludella and anywhere else you sure. want to promote yeah, uh, the book is A Bicycle Built for Two Billion. So just remember A Bicycle Built for Two, which is a tandem bike, and then A Bicycle Built for Two Billion is signifies the open seat that was open for anybody and any of the billion people that were uh, on the trip. So A Bicycle Built for Two Billion dot com, or just put that in Google and you'll find the book. Sure. Uh, and then the website is Ludella, L-U-D-E-L-A, Ludella dot com, and that's where they're available for, for pre-order. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, that's where you get all the information on both those adventures. Perfect, Jamie. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And you know, I can't wait till you guys actually start shipping these things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All it's right, been man. a pleasure. Well, you have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk soon. Okay, cheers. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.